for years that I've been coming to this conference, they've been talking about Bridge the Gap. We've had a couple efforts to make it work, but it never would solidify into something that's functioning. But you cannot beat Bridge the Gap inside the prison walls. Um, Matt here came across one of the guys that I had sponsored out at Wayne and carried through the steps and he moved on to the prison that Matt was at and um, carried Matt through the steps and then Matt made it over to the prison where I volunteered at and he was told there's going to be a volunteer named Dean there. He was told all the other guys to get hooked up with in the group and as soon as he got there he was well taken care of. And, you know, it says a lot for the good groups and, and the kind of message we carry these guys in these prisons. Matt has stayed in touch with me throughout the years, done a far better job at it than I have. And, um, and it's, you know, it's why we come here and do this conference so we can learn how to better carry this message in there just so we can see results like Matt that's about to speak to y'all. And um, he's a fine AA member, and I'll give y'all Matt. Wow, thank you. Hey everybody, my name's Matt, I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date's May 1st of 2008. My home group is Wake Up Group in Nashville, Tennessee. I have a sponsor also have the privilege of taking other guys through the work and have a sponsor. He knows that he's my sponsor, and that's, uh, that's really important. Actually, I was able to talk to him today, and uh, in the past I've had phone numbers, and they're not the same thing as sponsors. So I, I try to clarify that, that, you know, there is a difference. If you're holding on to a phone number and you haven't used it, then you, you, may, you may want to. It's... It's been a, uh, really a launching pad for me in, into, into recovery, that's for sure. I, I, uh, I hold a 0% chance of making it by myself, I'm convinced. Um, and before I get going on, on me, all about me, I owe so many thank yous. And I'm not going to be able to thank everybody um, today right now that's helped me to to get to this point in my life but just a few people who helped me get to this podium this weekend Paige thank you for for asking me to come it's it's truly an honor and a and a privilege to be asked to do anything in Alcoholics Anonymous and especially to come back to North Carolina where where I grew up where I took my last and what I pray to be my last drink my first and my last drink and um for the opportunity to hang out and fellowship with you all. Um, Steve, thanks. Uh, I, I spoke at Steve's home group, I don't know, it was a couple of years ago, and, and uh, Dean's too, and, and he said, you know, if you stay sober long enough, we'll have you back to the, uh, <laughs> back to this conference. And I was like, all right, and he kept his word, you know, and uh, several years later, and here, here we go. Um, Dean, thank you for picking me up at the airport and for being a great host this weekend. Thank you for, for being, you know, my first sponsor, sponsor, and, and uh, it's, I, I kind of, you know, I have a moment kind of like you were describing that where it, I don't feel ad adequate to be up here. I feel like you should be the one up here because I look up to you and, and uh, all that you do and, and, uh, and have done in Alcoholics Anonymous, and thank you for, thank you all for, for uh, trudging the way, for, for leading the way for, for people like me. And thank you to all the speakers. Thank you to the panelists. This has been so great. I mean, uh, I really have enjoyed listening this weekend. I, I do enjoy listening to myself talk, but I really, really enjoy listening to you all. Um, Rito, it's been, it's been great seeing you again. And too, it's the first time I've heard you. It's, it was just right on. I mean, I, I laughed. I needed that afternoon laughter. And the panelists, gosh, that's... That's some really good stuff. Um, I'll be I'll be listening to those those uh, 15 20 minute talks again because I really really took away a lot of that and, and uh, 
the experience, strength, and hope that we have together is, is just, it's, it's, uh, it's truly remarkable. Um, I have, let's see, um, Rito, I did, I did want to talk about one thing, you know, here. You mentioned in, in uh, I don't want to crosstalk. There's this international convention uh, in corrections, and it's an awesome thing. I think going on not seven, eight years now, and, uh, you know, Tennessee put in a bid last year, and <laughs> things, you know, the group conscious were voted, and, and, and uh, we didn't bring it home. North Carolina, you know, brought it, and, and I just would like to say that if there's any state that I would bless getting the uh, International Corrections Conference, or other than Tennessee, it would definitely be North Carolina. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm pumped that it will be, it will be here and, and, uh, in next year, and I look forward to attending it and hopefully seeing some of you there. It's, it's uh, definitely, I think, drawn a lot of the, the energy from this conference right here, and it's just to kind of ex expanded upon it on, on an international level. But this is where my roots are. Um, I, um, I grew up in, in North Raleigh, and I moved around a lot when I was a kid, but when people ask me where I'm from, uh, I tell them North Carolina, and I say it very proudly. Um, it's a shorter answer, and it's, uh, it's a, it was a great, great place to live and to grow up, and um, by all accounts, like look outside looking in, I had a great childhood. I mean, I had two parents that loved and do anything for me, and I had friends, and I had a, uh, you know, a safe environment to, to, to grow up in, yet in my mind there was something missing. And I can't explain that. I've heard a lot of your stories and it's something that I think we all share, but doesn't necessarily make me an alcoholic, but there was something missing. And a few years ago, my mom came and we were talking and she, she brought to my attention, I went up to her at three years old, looked at her dead in the eyes and said, Mom, you know, I know I'm adopted and I'd like to know where my real parents are. Just as serious as a three-year-old could be. And I think she laughed as well, and, and, uh, and I've done the research, and they are who they say they are. And, um, <laughs> but, you know, at the time, I, something, was, something was missing. Yet I had friends, and, you know, we'd run through the woods, and, do, you know, I'd play... I'd play uh, games like G.I. Joe or, you know, whatever, like Army. I'd have, uh, you know, full fatigues. I just was having fun doing kid things, but there's something something missing. And um, I found, found my solution at, uh, at the summer going into sixth grade. Me and my buddy, like, I grew up playing soccer pretty competitively, and, and I was pretty good. I um, had a God-given athletic ability, and and uh, we found his mom's stash of vodka above the washer and dryer machine. And the fact that we found it makes me think we were looking for it for a little bit. And uh, this, <laughs> this night in particular was, was one that would change the trajectory of my life. And, and I didn't know it at the time, but it was, it, it was just like any other summer night, except for we found this stuff. We were going to experiment and uh, poured it off into water bottles. and ran into the woods at night and I began to drink in my entire bottle and the rest of what he couldn't finish and don't remember the rest of the night but I remember what happened that night and, and I had what I believe to be a spiritual experience of, of a, lower, a lower level spiritual experience but I, I, everything was finally okay. All of those fears and all of those anxieties and all of that stuff that was like inside of me and built up was gone and, and I could finally just breathe. See, I didn't want to drink to, you know, wreck cars and throw up all over myself and all over you and have to play detective when I woke up in the morning to figure out, you know, put the pieces of the puzzle together. Where am I? Who is this? And, you know, where's my car? Where's my wallet? And, you know, all of this stuff that we have to do. That's not, that's, that's what happened um, as a result of me taking the first drink because I, I have this allergy. But when I started drinking, like, it, did, it was my solution. Like, it did something for me that I hadn't been able to find in the church with my parents' love, you know, with friends or anything like that. It just made me feel okay, loved and accepted. And, man, if I could just continue to do that every day for the rest of my life, I'd be okay. 
Um, unfortunately, at 12 years old, my resources were very limited, and uh, we could only nip so much off of her stash before, you know, we'd get caught eventually, and we'd go over to my parents' house and, you know, get creative. And uh, you know, I never lacked, you know, initiative when it came to getting loaded. Like, I would... <laughs> I would be, I would really be smart. I would surprise myself, you know, and, and some of the ways that I would scheme way, you know, to, to, to get booze and to continue on and, and extend the effects produced by alcohol and all of these other things. And, um, you know, at, at that age, consequences were pretty slim. You know, I was able to ha go under the radar. It wasn't until I started driving that things were become more more obvious because it's I'm driving around you know with a, uh, a silver bullet and drive, you know, starting to, to to get into trouble and it's at this time I'm getting in, I'm in high school and um, I get kicked out of high school and I'm no longer able to play play competitive soccer because you know drink it's getting in, in the way of my drinking really like I, I thought I could pregame like you would at a bar for the actual game but what happened it, it wasn't as smooth and so my performance started to decline and, and I, I too like had had oppor opportunities to play collegiate um, soccer and a full ride potentially you know but I, I just crossed over this line I don't know exactly when it was 15 16 years old um, where I lost a choice in drink. And instead of becoming a professional soccer player, my dreams, ambitions were to continue to feel like I did that night at 12 years old and just be okay. And the only way that I knew how to do that was through, through alcohol. And, and so I would do that. And despite the consequences, despite the, the teachers who would try to help me, the after school, the the uh, lawyers eventually, and even like the drug courts and all these people, like really nice people like along the way. And, and uh, I just was like, thanks for the information, no thanks. After my first DUI at 17 years old, I, uh, I had to go to an take an assessment. And I don't know if you guys have ever taken one of these things, but it's like a standardized test for your, you know, drinking and partying lifestyle. And I was like, well, I'm a smart I'm a smart kid, so I'll just tell them what they want to hear and, like, you know, get off. And uh, I failed the test, or or passed it, depending on which side you're on. And they uh, they told me I had to go to the A and A, and and I was like, what's the A and A? Like, you know, come on, I like the American Airlines, and I, I'm all about traveling and getting away from from my problems. And I tried that a few times too, without success. But okay, at 17, I'm going to do what I need to do to get what I need to get so that you can get off my back and I can continue on, you know, feeling, feeling the effects. And um, I were, it was in Raleigh. I don't know where this church was. I, I don't even know how I would begin to, to, to find it. It was a church, base, church basement. So that's, that's a starting point. Um, we can filter from there. And I walk into this basement and, and I get hit with it at this poof of smoke like I didn't know if the place was on fire or not and and I walk in and sure enough there's people in there I can hear them can't see them yet and I walk down the aisle <laughs> and, and I'm hearing them and and through the smoke I start to see their faces and and I'm like wow look at these old people in here you know and I mean not just old I mean like tales from the crypt like old like I didn't even they must have been preserved in there for the last 10 years Super, super nice people, just like you would imagine grandparents would be, you know, like, and that's the way I felt. I felt like a, a little, a little grandkid. My, um, my, my, uh, grand, grandfather was, I don't know if he was an alcoholic or not, but he, he, he was a, a hard drinker for sure who, who did horrible things while drunk. And, um, I didn't have to grow up with that and I'm so thankful but I'm thinking to myself, that's what an alcoholic is, you know, one of those guys who, who, you know, would do horrible things while drinking. And I had just gotten, you know, pulled over when I it was a little bit late at night and, you know, I shouldn't have been driving. But, um, but these are like the alcoholics here and this is where they are. And, and I, the only thing I remember 
from that meeting, as I said, to, you know, keep coming back. And I said, all right, you know, I'll bet, I, you know, I'll be back in about 50 years. You guys just <laughs> stay off the roads and, you know, or, you know, be, be, no, I mean, and truth be told, I mean, they could have very well been 50 and, and I was just looking at it from a 17-year-old who thought he had all the answers and who could outsmart the system, who could outsmart this disease, didn't even know I had a disease at the time. I thought I was just trying to, you know, arrange life to, my, to fit my drinking, which I, I did successfully for some time, and, and, uh, and I got into more trouble after that, slapping the wrist, spent my first night in jail, you know, the, the, the whole the pattern here, and, and I'm still underage, so it's all kind of like, and this was back in like 99, 2000, and it weren't as strict as they are today, and so I, don't, I didn't have any real consequences. And I did get to move. I didn't, the public school system didn't work. I went to a private school or a boarding school instead of going into, um, I think I had an alternative to either go to a military school or a boarding school. And I thought the military school sounded a little too much. Um, like it would have been a lot of work. And uh, I chose boarding school. Didn't even know what that meant, but went for it. And I was introduced to things that I didn't even know existed. and taken to an, another level of, of reality and um, so my disease just continued to get worse and I got in trouble up there we, we smuggled in some moonshine and um, I got as, as a penance or as a consequence for this uh, getting caught you know wasted with moonshine I had to go to what, what they labeled after me alcohol hill and it was this big like hill with all of this brush and I had a bush axe and they, I was just like sit up there like they'd drop me off just by myself and they would like I'd just bush axe for a couple hours each each day as, as my penance but you know there I am you know whatever it's it was a minor sacrifice for the effects that I was you know getting and um, at 19 now I'm I didn't I still haven't finished school I'm still not out of high school I'm making money though. I'm, I have a job. I'm, you know, traveling. I'm doing things that, like, on the outside, make me look like I got it together. But inside, I'm, I'm just starting to have to, like, you know, become a chemist and mix things and just, you know, do all types of other stuff to keep this party going. And um, I did get introduced to moonshine though at this point, and it was a much more efficient way to uh, to drink. I will say, at 19, one night, me and my roommate. We uh, were longboarding. We would take these long skateboards out and, and do it's kind of like snowboarding, but on asphalt. And in the wintertime, we would snowboard in the mountains. And this is now I'd moved from, from uh, Raleigh area out, out to the mountains. That's where I was introduced to moonshine, you know, probably from eastern Tennessee. Um, popcorn, Sutton, and stuff. But the uh, good stuff, you know, I was uh, pretty happy about the move. I found me wherever I was, and this one night in particular, I was going out. I was not drunk by any means. Had you know, had a few, um, but I had a little more courage than I normally did, and I attacked this one hill um, at a speed in which I shouldn't have. And at the very bottom of the hill, I, I tried a power slide to stop, and I don't remember what happened, but what I was told is that I hit head to concrete going about 10 miles an hour downhill, no helmet. Uh, thankfully, my roommate was watching this whole thing from afar and was able to like swoop in and, and called called uh, the ambulance and they came and picked me up and rushed me to to Mission Hospital there and and um, called my parents at three in the morning and told them that they didn't know if I was going to be alive in the morning, like through the night, if I wasn't going to make it through the night. And I don't have any kids, so I don't know what that phone call would have been like personally, but I can only imagine um, just the, the pain that that invoked. And they came to the hospital and they prayed because that's, that's what they do. They're praying people. Um, my mom's a prayer warrior. If I ever have something, I like take it right, right to her. I mean, I can talk to God too, but she's got, I think she's got, you know, like <laughs> superpowers. Um, her channel's always open. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, it's, it's, uh, I don't know if you guys know those people, but yeah, my mom's a prayer warrior, and that's what they did when I was, when I was, um, they induced a coma and had to take part of my, my head out, and, and anyways, um, miraculously, uh, the brain went all the way from one side back to center, and uh, the 
neurosurgeons were like, we can't explain this medically. Um, and prayers were answered that night, you know. We talk about God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. Um, certainly that happened that night. And for the next three months, I would have to learn how to walk and talk and put shoes on the right feet and um, just the basic things that we take for granted every day. Um, but I made a, a, a full recovery by, by all standards. And, and when I got picked up from the rehab hospital, my, my, uh, my buddy passed me one of those medicinal cigarettes and a flask, and uh, I was right back to it like that. I, now I didn't have to drink as much because they had me loaded on some other stuff or pain naturally that I actually I needed um, would begin to you know take a little more of those than I needed to eventually. But the reason I tell that story is uh, to this very day I haven't thought about getting back on a skateboard. Like, just hadn't crossed my mind. Now I'm what our book would call like a moderate skateboarder. Um, <laughs> Like, with sufficient reason, I don't have to get back on. I'm not like, well, maybe this time I could take it a little bit slower down that, car. you know. No, I just, it's like, I'm good. I don't feel like some part of my life is missing because I'm not able to skate. You know, it's just like, okay, I'm okay. But, but with alcohol, on the other hand, I'd just get back on. I'd be like the jaywalker, you know, that I just have to keep trying to cross that street and... I'll get faster. I'll get some better shoes. You know that'll get me across there faster. And or I'll wear a, li a lighter color shirt. Or I don't know. You know it's just all types of things. I would, I would be trying to to arrange the board to 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 suit to suit my plans and my agenda. And um, at that point in time, at 19, and uh, for the next three and a half, four years. Uh, some of the darkest, some of the darkest days of my life, and I started to do things that I say I never do, and and those principles and those morals that I was taught as a kid, like I started slowly, just they started fading away, and I started doing things that I, you know, um, I knew better, but there was something inside of me, this phenomenon craving that I, I was drinking for that I didn't know I had, I didn't know that that I'm actually suffering from a disease here. I started ending up in places that you guys would show up at, like Broughton Hospital. Any Broughton alumni here? I'm, I am, but um, I'm not proud of that. By the way, it sounded like it, but I'm. Uh, I um, I ended up places like that, you know, in places that you can't get out of. That's what happens when I start drinking. I found that I don't usually stop. I end up getting caught or having to surrender to something to uh, take me away, and. Every time that I'd go back into one of these places, I'd, I'd be like, okay, enough's enough. But as soon as I'd get out, the plans would change. I didn't know what that was. I just thought, plans change, plans change. Got to roll with it. Come to find out that, like what's been talked about already this weekend, like drinking wasn't the problem. Because if drinking was the problem, any one of those 30-day 60-day places where I was removed from alcohol for that long would have been enough for me to not have to drink again or get back on that skateboard. But what makes me alcoholic is that, you know, I don't know how to live between drinks. After I put, put the plug in the jug, what do I do? I don't have those tools. So, of course, I drink. It's not, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. I hate this disease, and I hate to see people to drink again. I hate to see people die from this disease. But that's what alcoholics do. If you're like me, I'm, I'm the alcoholic in this book. And without a spiritual awakening, I, I will drink to oblivion and eventually either live in a miserable existence where you, you know, I wish I was dead or, or die. And that was the path I was going, and I had kind of just signed it off. I just said, you know what, this is it. This is my path. You know, I've already done so much. You know. The only thing I hadn't done was you know, get into a relationship like a serious relationship. And I was hanging out with some people, you know, that only come out at night, and uh, we were just kind of like vampires, I guess, and, and uh, I was happy, just doing all right. And I just met this, I met this young lady, and uh, she just got out of prison. 
So um, naturally, I, I felt like I could trust her. Living in Gotham City together, you know, I felt like we were we were on the same level. And yeah, that that just that that was a uh, dumpster fire, you know. I mean, there's no way around it. Like I, I tried my best, she tried her best, but we were just throwing gasoline gasoline on that thing, and um, there was no hope. Um, Fast forward, end up keep keep coming back. Judge keeps seeing me, tired of seeing me. Things the consequences continually get worse. You guys know the deal, and um, I started doing things like one one time my parents went out of town, and I I um, I took some things from them that that weren't mine. Like I stole straight up, uh, took the TV right off the wall. And I'm like, you know, doing this, like in the act, I'm like, this is just, this is wrong. But I just kept moving, my feet kept moving. And I was just, afterwards, I'm like, what a, you know, I, I'm just, but see, what, what's something I, I realized is that there wasn't anything I could do or participate in so bad that another drink wouldn't help, like, ease you know those nights when you or the days where you wake up the next day and, and thank God I didn't live in the digital era, or I didn't drink in the digital age where they could actually have pictures and stuff. You could end up on, you know, who knows what. I mean, all of the stuff I've heard is hearsay, so we we are not even gonna pass that on as truth. But I heard you know, I've done some stuff I'm not proud of. I mean, I remember drinking like, you know, taking my last drink in the daytime and then coming to in in a, in the in the nighttime and just that was normal. I thought, um, but the um, thing about it is, uh, with with a, with a partner who was just as excited as I was about you know going to the gates of insanity and, and death, uh, there was no. This was a roller coaster going downhill, no breaks, and we kind of tried to be cute together and and and. Uh, go to halfway houses and get the courts off of our back, but ultimately this was going down. And after I stole that television from my parents, there was nothing stopping me from taking anything from anybody. And um, so I, I didn't, I felt like people were a little too personal, so I, you know, I would hit businesses. I figured that they, you know, were covered and stuff. But it's still, there's still people associated to them, and I still hurt people. I'm not proud of that. Um, but I crossed over this line, and that, that last spree, my last, my last drunk, um, ended. I was living. I was. I wasn't homeless. I was still living in a car at this point in time. We were, uh, me and Bonnie. We were living in this, uh, this car that I got from, from my, um, my grandpa, when he passed. Things weren't too bad, you know. I was mobile. I was mobile. I could sleep any county and state I wanted to, and you know, surely I was. And, but the. Uh, the plan was, I had done so much dirt in this state, I had to get out. Like, the plan was to go home, say goodbye to my mom and my dog, because those were the only two creatures that would have anything to do with me, get a change of clothes, and get out, head to Mexico. That's the plan. Good plan, Matt. Didn't run it by a sponsor. Only had a phone number at this point in time. <laughs> Didn't call them. I'd come around, you know, I'd kind of like, you know, a lot of basketball fans down in this part of the world, ACC and stuff, and I'm a round and out kind of an AA. You know, those results amount in nil. You know, a round and out the hoop is no, it's no basket. And I don't get any solution if I just come around and out of AA. If I sit in, the, in AA and I don't do what the people in AA are doing, I've found that it's pretty painful. But that's all I had done at this point. So my plan, not sponsor approved, was to go and and get out of Dodge. And I was okay with with the results, maybe getting killed on the way out, and I would have been okay with it. I, I, I just was in that much pain. And we go into to this, my parents lived in a gated community at the time, and I would end up uh, driving down this road, mountain road, and then uh, there's an undercover at the bottom of the hill. 
And uh, he asked me, you know, with his gun out, like, you know, where have I been? And I told him, trying to be smart like I always had been. I just was down the road getting some, getting some snacks from the store or something. And, uh, and I was in the back of the car before you know it. And, and I look back, and there's a dog in my car. And it wasn't my dog. And there's a line of, of undercover uh, cops down this mountain street. And then there comes my mom. It had been some time. I'm t I, she was wondering where I, where I was. Saw her talk to one of the detectives and then drive by the car that I was in. And the, her face, I'll never forget it, looked like a mother standing over her, her son's casket. Like it was almost pale white and, and saw just sad and disgusted and disappointed all in one. And something inside of me cried out. I don't know if it was audible or not, but. I just cried out to God that I didn't know if he even wanted anything to do with me or not. Probably not at this point in time. And I said, I can't live like this anymore. Please help. And the first thing that came to my mind were those people in AA, those nice people. And I'll tell you what, I, I was like, all right, God, let's do it. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go. I've never had a prayer answered that fast since that day. But boy, I'll tell you, if there was ever a prayer that needed to be answered in an in a overnight fashion, like that was one. And uh, I was like, all right. It would have been great if they had let me out on bond that, that day and I could have gone back to my home group and got, you know, called my sponsor. But that didn't happen. I had to go, and like we do in Alcoholics Anonymous, I had to, to, to clean my side of the street. I found that the... the kind people of, of the counties who I had harmed did a good job of putting my, my first inventory together for me. And um, at 23 years old, I'm sitting inside of the federal detention facility facing 929 months for a series of things that have happened over the last two years, but specifically over the last couple months. And that's a scary place to be. And it, it was getting real. It was getting real. Like, you know, the couple days go by, and once I get upstairs, they put me in this, like, 23-hour and 50, 50 a day. Like, I'm in a box by, by myself and starting to get some feelings back in a, in a major way. I didn't know what to do, though. And... uh but I was like, I remembered that prayer, and I was like, I'm ready to do whatever it takes. And, and I'm here today because a man came to a jail. Eventually, after that period where, where they finally let me go to an AA meeting, a man came. I don't remember his name, but he, uh, he brought a book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we had a meeting. Nothing that, that was discussed in that. I couldn't tell you right now, off the top of my head, what we discussed. What the topic, you know, what the topic of the meeting was, you know, what. All I remember was that he was there when he said he was going to be there, and at the end of the meeting, he got in the elevator and went down to his, you know, car, his family, his dog, and and I went back into my my world, which was the size of a small closet. And if that wasn't an attractive message, I don't know what was. So it's not always what we say when we go into these places. But being there says a lot. And as you can tell, I'm standing here. The, the uh, U.S. Marshals aren't looking for me. I didn't end up having to do the 929 months. I took a plea, and the lawyer was like, the thing is, is that, like, keep in mind, I didn't want to call home. I had nobody to call. I'd burned every bridge. But for some reason, once my dad found out what I, you know, the mess I'd made, he... Uh, refied the house or something and got me uh, got me a lawyer that was still saying that the best he's going to be able to do is a habitual felon which was like 7 to 11 or something like that and but that was a lot better than 929 months so I was like all right you guys started out here here you know like leave the outcomes in, in God's hands so okay that's what we're going to do we're going to pray pray with all that we have that it's not going to be be that long and and as it turned out you know, they ended up get, signing a, 
plea or judge's discretion or something, and it was two 10 to 12s uh, box card. So 20 months on state. But at this, when I was still waiting to ship, my dad got diagnosed with this, this cancer that was like 18 months to live. It was really rare and aggressive cancer. There was that going on too at the same time. And I don't know if I'm gonna be able to, to get out in time to see him and a lot of things are going on. But, but I remember, again, I go back to that prayer and I'm like, all right, I'm God, I'm ready to do whatever it takes. And so after processing and and getting, for those who haven't been, to, it's it's not a very fun place to go. It's pretty scary. Uh, at 23 years old, and uh, it, to me, it wasn't one that I would like want to go back and repeat. Let me put it that way. However, if you find yourself in 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 prison, it's actually a great place to get sober. We'll get to that momentarily. The the tension that's that's going on that that I experience. It was overwhelming at times, and I didn't want to like talk to anybody. I just kept to myself pretty much, and um, it wasn't until I got got my Browns and went to Johnson Correctional where I felt a little bit of I want to say like comfort. That's definitely not the right word, but I, I felt like I could get my bearings. It was a little more routine. It wasn't as as crazy as as uh, processing and. Even though somebody was leaving in an ambulance on the on my day when I was coming in, but it was, um, it felt a little bit better once I got there. And, and the the case agent, or you know, the uh, my advisor, was like, "You're gonna have to go to work or go to school." And I said, "All right, well, I'm gonna go to work because I didn't have any money and I was trying to." buy some food and she's like well you can't go to work you got to go to school <laughs> all right what kind of classes do you have well we have a uh, cooking class we have a horticulture class we got a shop class and I was like, I want to do the cooking class I'm pretty hungry <laughs> sorry cooking class is full like why did you even tell me about it you know it's... so I mean those are some of the cooperation with the <laughs> That's where it started. That's my experience. Trying not to, but the uh, I ended up taking a horticulture class because I knew a little something about growing some closet tomatoes and previous life. I was like, you know, I'm gonna grow my own food if that's what it takes. You know, I told you I'm hungry. And that's you know what I, that class really ro rocketed me into another dimension. It's where I met my first sponsor. And it's also where I started to unlearn some of these old ideas that I had about myself. And I think uh, Rito touched on this a little bit last night. I thought I was dumb. I tried community college five times and I didn't get past week two. I'm not proud of that. It does not sound good and I would not tell anybody else that except for you people. Um, please don't, don't, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> No, but I mean seriously, that's like how I mean wh why wouldn't you why would you even try the third time? I mean, if you anyways, 4 and 5, you know, maybe this time it'll be different, but the yeah, I thought I was I thought I was stupid. Like I'm I'd much rather make money than go to school. And uh this horticulture class taught me that, you know, if you show up and you do the work that's in front of you, you participate, you get good grades. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? At the same time, I was getting, you know, immersed in my first home group there at uh, JCI, and I learned a lot about getting sober and staying sober there and being part of a a three legacy group. Incredible. And I owe that to you. I owe that to people who aren't here anymore. Um, some people who are. And. This class, so what we saw is, you know, we saw that we could, and it's been touched on a little bit this weekend, is that I, I have to amend the soil, and I have to, you know, prepare a place for this seed or, or you know, seedling to grow, but I'm not the one doing the growing. I have to tend to the garden, but all I'm doing is just keeping things out of the way. God is definitely doing the, the big work. 
And that's a theme that has helped me so much in my relationship with God today. Like my, my limited understanding of this infinite power. It's that thing that takes a seed to a seedling. It needs my help. It could it, it benefits from my help. It really doesn't need it, but I think so. I think if, if I'm created in that image, then I, I am. I'm, I'm a participant. And so I, I started to see this, you know, just these principles in action. And, and that's where I met Terry, my first sponsor, who was, who was sponsored by Dean. And I saw Terry, like Terry was walking the walk. There's a lot of people doing things in there that, you know, that look like old behavior, and it's easy to fall into that. And I, I don't, I get it. I mean, I'm not coming from a spiritual high top that, like, you know, if you want to gamble and you want to do this or that, you know, that's, that's fine. For me, what I learned is that, that that could be dangerous on a number of levels, especially inside. So I just stayed away from it. I was looking to the people who were, who were like Terry, who were just kind of walking the walk. And I owe my life to these guys, a lot of them who aren't ever going to come home. People that were, they had found a new way of life inside that was better than the old way. And I was like, I was a student in class. And another thing about that class, that class, that, that, um, that meeting, was there was people who, who normally wouldn't mix, like, even in, in, in the facilities. Like, we had people from all different um, religious backgrounds, from, from, you know, socioeconomics, everything you could think of, but yet we're all in there, huddled up together, getting sober. What a beautiful thing. Thank you, Alcoholics Anonymous, for, for, for providing a safe place for us all to get sober. Because I don't know what's going on. I just know that I'm dying if, I don't, if I, something doesn't change. And there's something that you guys have that I need, and I needed a sponsor to get me through it. And that's what Terry did. We sat out on the yard, and he would read, and I would listen. And, and uh, a couple times, I was like, Terry, you know I can read, right? Like, I'm not that great, but I, I'm, and he's like, Matt, you really would benefit from listening. Now, <laughs> really gentle, I don't know, like, he was just like that, and, and uh, <laughs> man, I love him for it. But I really wanted my own book, you know, I, I didn't have my book, and like I was saying, you know, I was having to borrow one from the, from our group, but I wanted my own book, because I saw, like, people writing, you know, underlining things, and I thought that would be really cool, and I uh, didn't really want to ask anything from my parents, obviously, I felt already like a horrible son, and Terry said, there's an address in the back of the book, box 459, why don't you write a letter, see what happens. Well, I didn't have much else to do, and so I just, in between, uh, in between meetings, I, I just, I wrote box 459, a letter, and uh, I forgot I even wrote the letter, because things got, got busy, and then all of a sudden, I get called down to the mailroom one day, and there's a package there with my name on it. And in the package, there is a handwritten letter from, uh, from Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and I have it here. I took a picture of it because I didn't want to bring it and lose it because it means a lot to me. It says, Dear Matthew, your re recent letter has come to me as I'm currently serving on the corrections assignment here at the General Service Office. My name is Gail, and I'm an alcoholic. And it's good to have this opportunity to be in touch. Sounds like you've paid a high price for your drinking, and I'm so glad to know that you're turning to Alcoholics Anonymous for help. And immediately my world got so much bigger. Wow. There's alcoholics outside of this fence that they care about me. And there were some pamphlets and, and, uh, and a book, I think, and, and um, which wow, I would later realize that that's possible because of a group, maybe in North Carolina, maybe in Tennessee, put a couple bucks in the basket, and that group made a contribution to GSO, and GSO had money to, to send books like that. And I'm not different. I know there's a, there could be several other people who have received similar letters like that, but I'll tell you, for me, it meant the world. And... I take my book and I still have it. Um, it's not this one, but um, 
but I'd be underlining stuff and I'd be so on fire for Alcoholics Anonymous to the point where I'd read something in a pamphlet or, and I'd run, run over to the building Terry lived in and I'd be like, Terry, Terry, check this out. You know, look, we have concepts, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Matt, I'll never forget this. It was a Sunday. He was watching football probably. And I was bothering him with some AA stuff that I just discovered. And he's like, Man, you, you got to find a life outside of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was like, what? No, no, no. Seriously, you know, fear sobered me for a bit. But it's really important for me to understand that there, a much more important demonstration of these principles is in my life. In all my affairs. I get to create new affairs with, you know, different things. And so I started playing chess. I mean, you know, that's not AA, but I get to practice the principles and uh, it was pretty fun. And I got to do some other things too and, and I continue to, uh, to explore and I'll get to some of the, the newer adventures and uh, hobbies and stuff. I mean, that's so, what's, how cool is that? It scared me at first. So Terry and I go through the, the, uh, the steps. We go through my fourth step, and uh, there were some things on that f that I had done that I wasn't going to put on paper, for one, and I was probably not going to share with Terry, and I told him that. No respect. I love you, you know, like a brother, but I'm not stupid. And um, he understood, and we agreed. He said, you know what, at the next opportunity that you have to, to share this with somebody, do so. That was that. That's how we handled the, you know, the fourth, fifth step. And we prayed on it. We went on. And then at the eighth step, I have a list of people who I'd harmed. We went through through this list, and we, he helped me with now, later, or never, which was going to be when I make the amends. Now meant once I got out, which was still over, over a year away, um, a year and a half away. And later meant later, never, never. And, and Right about that time, I got shipped to Wayne, and it was strange because you know we, things messages get through. You know we get have a way of talking to people, but like by the time the bus landed at in Goldsboro, I already had a sponsor. I already had like a home group. You know they knew I was coming, and it was a good thing. It was it really felt good to be welcomed. It was like a welcome inside and. Um, I really wanted Carter as a sponsor, but I ended up with even better sponsor, in my opinion. It was Juan. Juan was one of Carter's guys, one of the guys Carter sponsored. And we went back through the work, got to the eighth step, and he says, now means now. You need to get a piece of paper and a pencil and start writing some letters to these people who you have harmed. And I'll be forever grateful for that suggestion and a lot of other ones that he gave me. And so I took his suggestions. He showed me exactly where in our literature what it says, what an amends is and what it isn't. And this needs to be really concise to the point. This is what I've done. And I need to know what I can do right now at this moment, presently, to make this right, to set right this wrong. And so I started at the top of my list. My mom was up there. She wasn't going to come and visit me. And I, uh, I wrote her a letter, and, and this is a woman who I hadn't physically hurt, but I'd done so much emotional and spiritual and everything else you can imagine. You know, I'd, I'd hurt, harmed her. I don't know how you can make it right, but I said, Mama, I need to know what I can do right now to set this right. I sent the letter. I forgot I sent it. Two weeks later, I get a, a, a letter from her, and she says, uh, the only thing that we want from you is for you to love yourself like we've loved you this whole time. And the floodgates opened, and I was gone. And I started feeling some emotions that I hadn't felt in a long time. And uh, I, I wept. And uh, my buddy Will, who who, uh, who lived next door, he's like, Matt, what happened? Your dog died? And I was like, no, nah, man. <laughs> it's even better. Uh, it's, uh, no, it's not better, but it's, it's, a, it's a good cry. And that... Uh, Around the same time, when I was there in, in Goldsboro, I, I crossed paths with another beautiful man, uh, Father G, who 
was a Catholic priest and, and uh, was able to hear my fist up, the part that I wasn't able to tell Terry. And I got free. Shortly after that, I, I walked out onto the yard one day. It was just like a normal, any other day. Except for once I got up to this little hill, I didn't see anybody else out there, which is a bad thing. That means the yard might be closed and I might have a target on my back. So I was a little bit paused for a second. I looked around and I didn't see any fences. I didn't see any of the, the towers or anything. And for that moment, I'm standing there and I feel this warmth come down from top of my head down through, through my toes. And I'm standing in there and, and this is this freedom that came over me. And I'm standing inside of this medium security prison, a free man. And then I had to make sure that the yard was really open and, and uh, I wasn't hallucinating. I mean, it was a very profound experience, a beginning of, of a, a spiritual awakening, I believe, as a result of working these steps. And things like um, Juan would teach me other things, you know, um, I'd be in my head about, you know, Bonnie and I were still trying to make things work through, you know, through correspondence and it wasn't working too well. And man, I was in my head in a bad way and, and all things, my dad wasn't doing well still. And, oh, I, I didn't know I was, I was just crazy and nine months sober, just crazy. And I told, told Juan and he probably laughed at me and was like, Hey, Go find somebody else sitting, sitting, you know, by themselves that looks like they're, they're having a rougher day and ask them how they're doing. And I did that. Sure enough, by the end of that conversation, I didn't even know what I was stressing about. You know, that's, wow. So that's how this thing works. And I've used that to this day. I mean, that intensive work with another alcoholic works when nothing else does. And what a gift that we have. I, I go on and, um, I mean, I, I, I remember laughing too at that, at that same facility with, uh, with my buddy Will. I had one of those belly laughs I hadn't had in like, I don't know how long, maybe since I was a kid. I don't even know what it was, but it was just, it felt good. I was like, wow, things are starting to happen. And I go on and I get to... I get to Craggy right about the time I turn one, and all of a sudden I'm like, man, when they put all these mountains out here, like I'm walking around and it's beautiful. And I'd lived in the mountains for like eight years, but it's like I'd been so focused on you know me getting what I wanted that there's this beautiful landscape around, and I hadn't, hadn't missed it. I'd missed it, and. I was still not, you know, I was still crazy, but things were starting to materialize, and my dad wasn't doing well, but he came to visit me at Craggy, because we didn't know if he was going to be there until I got, and when I got out. And he came, and I was able to sit with him and, and, uh, and, and make amends. And I received his blessing, and I felt, I felt okay. Like, if I didn't see him again, like, it was going to be okay. I also got to make amends, um, one of his business partners and I, our friend, our families are really close, but I did some, I had caused some harm during the last days of my drinking with him as well. And, and he lived in the, in that area. So I called him and said, Hey, can, can, can I set up some time to make amends? And I, I shared with him my side of the street and asked him what I could do. And then he started getting upset. Like, you know, he was starting to get pissed at me. He didn't realize that he was mad at me until I started to make the amends. And so it was a healing process for both of us. Sometimes that happens, and I, I love that, that um, with sponsorship direction, I can go forward with these amends, and nine times out of ten, you know, the unthinkable happens, right? And, and that's exactly what happened. Three years later, um, that same friend of my dad's called me up weeping. He says, I, I can't stop drinking. And I had the people to put him in touch with so that he was able to get the recovery that he needs. This is one of my dad's closest friends and business partner. He just celebrated six years or seven years recently, and, and what a gift it is to just be a, a small chink in that, that link.
after after Craggy and um, getting to meet you know people there, getting to see the mountains, I uh, by the time it was time to go, I went to Lincolnton, and that's where I met a guy um, who I love and, and and cherish our relationship to this day. His name's Bob, and Bob's from Charlotte, and he said he he came to prison so he didn't have to come to prison. And I was like, that's very interesting. I'm, please teach me. I like your ways, because I'm. And he had been taking a meeting to that facility in Lincolnton for 20-something years and had a levity about him as well and, and was just a, 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 is a beautiful man. And he brought, you know, we were able to work one-on-one -on -one together. And, and us going through the steps helped me to validate everything that I had done. Not that I wasn't having a genuine spiritual experience, but it was in some ways nice to know that the AA on the outside was the same as the AA that I had inside. And the reason that that's the case is because of people like you and these 12 traditions and that the groups that we have inside, like at Wayne, were some of the best meetings I've been to in the entire, you know, some of them in, in my entire sobriety. I mean, we had history meetings at Wayne. Like, who has a history? Like, that's hard to find out here in the free world. Like, you had people, like, studying AA Comes of Age, and how awesome, you know? And But it's thanks to... Thanks to that. Thanks to people like Dean and Tom and all of you, you know, who, are, who, who have helped to, to put in the efforts and to show up every week, regardless of whether you get in or not. Um, I had that opportunity to have the consistent experience. And, and Bob, you know, had me do some things that weren't in the book um, per se. After my fourth step, he had me list of things, some things, some goals. What do you want to do in the next two years, five years, et cetera? And I put down some things. I don't think Bonnie and I were still a thing, so I left her off. But I did want to. I did want to have a. Uh, I did want to have a wife. You know, I thought that that would be nice and uh, a healthy relationship. And I wanted a dog. And I wanted to continue. I wanted to get an associate's degree because I had gotten a bug. You know, with the the horticulture class. I wanted to do landscaping. That's another thing. And I made this list, and I kind of forgot about it. And um, Bob would continue to be my sponsor when I got out. And he knew a guy that knew a guy in Tennessee, because at the time I forgot to tell you that my parents had moved, my dad took a new job in Tennessee while I was in, still in North Carolina. And the, uh, the thing about it is I had a guy in Tennessee that already knew that I was coming before I even got there. It was really creepy. I thought that you guys were like the mafia or something and knew, <laughs> knew people and it was just like it was at Wayne. And, AA has been waiting for me wherever I've gone. And Bob would be my sponsor, but I'd, I'd get a contact as soon as I hit the ground in Tennessee. And I really, I had this really intense desire to carry the message, you know, to, to people incarcerated like I was. And when you do that, like within the first couple weeks that you're out, they look at you kind of crazy. Like, you know, you might want to, most people who just get out of prison aren't trying to get back in. But I was, I was on fire, and I was ready to go. My dad kept his word, and he picked me up from prison and at BCC. He wasn't doing well. It was against doctor's orders. He came in, and he, uh, he, he brought me back to Tennessee. And, and I, had, I had a guy named Scott, Scott L., who's my sponsor today. Um, he met me at, at his home group at 5925, and he, he met me there, and, and he gave me one of these hugs. If you've you ever met Scott, you might have gotten one of these, and it's one in, like, you know, he, I just give him a hug, but he didn't let go. He just was hugging on, and I'm like, am I going to have to drop this guy or what? Like, I don't know. <laughs> this, is, this is really good. So it started to get, like, one or two seconds past uncomfortable. <laughs> And then I just let go. I just release. And I let him welcome me into Alcoholics Anonymous with a proper hug. And he invited me over to his house, you know, to welcome me in. He took me to a, a Preds game. And that's the kind of stuff that, that I really needed and I would have missed had I just tried to go out and do this thing by myself. Bob was pretty serious and adamant about, you know, when I get out, what do I do? Well, you go to, you find a home group, you get a service commitment, and you find other guys to sponsor. Okay. And 
that's what I did. So I went, the first home group, the first meeting I went to was at noon. It's a high noon group in uh, Hendersonville, Tennessee, and I'd make it my home group. I didn't know any better, and they didn't realize that they met five days a week, and I didn't have a job at the time, so it was perfect. How do I get involved in service? You find somebody that is in, you know, like, looks like they've been around a while, and you ask them how you can be involved. How can you help? That's what I did. I was looking around, and uh, there's a guy, old-timer, Detroit Dave. And I was like, Detroit, I need to get involved in service. And he says, Matt, you know, I think he laughed at me a little bit at first. And he's like, you come to the business meeting on Saturday. We'll get, or, you know, whenever it was, and Thursday, we'll get you, in, we'll get you involved in service. And I left that meeting, the GSR, at my home group. And then had no idea what a GSR was, but it, was ended, it ended up being a, a heck of a deal. I ended up going to uh, an assembly where I met Charlie, Charlie B. here from Nashville. And, and I, I went to the corrections, the corrections meeting, and I was like, my name's Matt, I just got out of prison, and I want to go back to prison. And they're like, ah, yeah, we're glad you're here. You're in the right place. And so I ended up, even despite being on paper and everything, like, uh, Charlie got me into Riverbend, which is maximum security prison in, in Nashville, and, and I was able to share my story there, and I was on fire for it. And God opened the door. And you know, one of the things Tom had, had shared that I'd heard is, you know, the guards hold the keys, but God opens and closes the gates. And when there's work to be done, the gates are going to open. And that has been my experience. And I've had fear every step of the way when new, new doors open. Like, how do I walk through? My dad wasn't going to make it very much longer. He wasn't going to make it to, to pick, for me to pick up my second year chip. So I went and I asked my group for a one-year medallion, and I gave it to him one night on the couch. And he looked at it like it was a 50-carat diamond. He said, I'm so proud of you. And I don't, he didn't meet any of you guys, but he loved each and every one of you because he gave him his son back. And when he passed shortly thereafter, you know, I was there. I'm not that guy. When pain happens, when things happen, I'm in the next town blotting it out, you know, getting just plastered and making it all about me at the funeral. But this time it was different. I wasn't the same man that came into Alcoholics Anonymous on May 1st of 2008. I owe that to you. And through the process, you know, I've been able to be there for my mom. She lives like an hour away, and I still keep in touch with her. That was one of the things Juan said. Like, I remember this. Like, he's like, you need to make sure that you go see your mom at least once a month or something like this. And I was able to mow her grass every week for a few years. I went back to school, and I, and I got this, uh, this bug. I took two classes my first semester just in case. It didn't take. But something happened. I, I showed up. I did the work, and I got good grades. Next semester, I signed up for a full co course load, and, and I did this on repeat until you do it enough, and they kick you out and give you a degree and say, get on down the road. <laughs> I did that again, and I went to a, a business school in Nashville that I really wanted to go to. Didn't know it was possible because of me, like where I'd come from. People like me aren't, aren't able to do, you know, go to school, but sure enough, there, there was opportunities there. And in my last semester, at that business school, I was presented with an opportunity to go get my master's in France. Now, surely, Paris, like France, France, not France, Tennessee, but the, uh, the, uh, the opportunity was there. And my home group and, and you, and I hear like Tom saying, you know what, you do the small stuff, God will do the big stuff. If there's work for you to do, not only will the gates open, but so do the borders, apparently. And I went and I got a visa and I got a passport and within three months I'm flying across the Atlantic Ocean to a country, I don't even speak French, but I know they had AA in France. So I plugged in over there and I got a home away from home group in, in Paris at the American Cathedral Church and I met my, the fellowship, you know, I created the one that I, I craved. And through this whole process, you know, my world's continuing to get bigger and bigger. And here I thought, you know, at 23 years old, when I was stopping drinking, that, like, my life was over. But thank God it was. Because this is a new, incredible life. And a couple other quick stories. I know I want to I wanna stop here very soon. Uh, well, actually, it's a two-hour one. So we'll take a break after one hour, and then we'll come back. But... Uh, um, but the uh, some some amazing things that have happened along the way is is uh, 
getting to come here and share, you know, I got to meet some, some guys from Texas, and uh, they invited me down there to a Southeastern conference just like this, and, and I shared down there. And then one of the things I always ask if, if I get to travel, especially with corrections, is like, can I come in and can we go into a prison? Can we go and, and carry the message? And it just so happens that the Walls unit down there is the second oldest AA meeting in, inside of in the penitentiary. And sure enough, they were gracious enough to allow, well, allow me to come in there and, and, and share a little bit. And what this group was just amazing. People there uh, welcomed me in, like they had a committee. They, had, they were more, I would hate to admit this, but they're more well organized than some of the, my home groups in the past. Um, I mean, just like very well, very well organized. Um, Houston can speak more to that. But at the end of the meeting, this guy came up to me and was just like, wow, you know, you really, you know, was, was happy to hear, you know, what I shared. And then he gave me his book. He's like, would you mind signing this? I was like, sure, no problem. And I opened it up. First page, Tom Ivester, Wallace. And I'm like, what, you, you need to put this in like a safe place or something, you know? Like, I was like, where do you want me to sign it? He's like, right here. I get to goosebumps just talking about it right now because I mean, I get to walk, you know, we get to walk in the footsteps of some just amazing people and giants to say the least. Um, I was at a conference right before the pandemic. I shared the story about the letter from Gail um, and GSO. And a guy comes up to me after the meeting. He's like, was her name Gail? And I said, yes, it was. And he pulls out his flip phone and puts Gail on the phone. And I stopped the line, and I'm sitting down crying and getting to say thank you to this woman who, who was doing her duty, her service as, as a trusted servant and thank her from the bottom of my heart from, for this letter. And just little things like that can come full circle. I got to go to, uh, to JCI, Johnson Correctional, with Mr. W and Miguel. They took me out there while I was still medium, and, and uh, I got to share. And I've got to go back, and, and uh, Terry, Terry G. from Etowah gave me my 10-year uh, medallion at Craggy, where I picked up my first-year medallion. Wow. I'm just overpaid in Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and I thank you for, for giving me the opportunity to have a new life today. And, and um, like I said, I've, I've that little list that I wrote down on my goals, you know, I've, I've just sold myself short, you know. The blessings are running over, and, and um, I thank you all for it. I thank North Carolina Corrections and all the, the work that you guys have done. Thank you for asking me to... Uh, to speak this weekend, and I love you all, the bottom of my heart. Thank you.